0: hey there we go we're cooking all right hi everyone yes i think we're firing on all cylinders here let me just make sure yes there we go hi everyone how are you doing it is late <laughs> it is 1.45 in the morning east coast time here uh on the east coast as we get ready and now what we're gonna do our ufc 297 post fight show hello everyone from morning combat my name is luke thomas merely one half of your hosting duo the other half of it brian campbell is doing the cbs sports uh post fight stuff so i'll be here with you for your post fight show we're going to get to results analysis your questions to get answered by the way there is a tweet up at l thomas news that i've got where people can put their questions we're going to get to that um at the end of the program of course as always if you don't want spoilers now's the time to bolt Trying to think what else of there is of value. Yes, a lot to get to. There is, uh, There were two championship fights tonight, so we have two champions to talk about here. All right, without further ado, you guys know the drill. Thumbs up on the video if you're watching. Please hit subscribe, it's free. Doesn't cost you nothing. And hey, I appreciate you guys here very much being here at 1.46 in the morning to talk about two five-round fights, one of which was pretty good, one of which was really terrible. But we're gonna talk about them just the same. All right, let's get this party started, shall we? and we're back i know it's a little not loud i'm really not sure how to fix that because the gain is all the way up let's see does that fix it no that makes it worse yeah i'm not really sure what to do i will try to talk at a volume um that is helpful for you all right so let's get to these results ufc let me turn this one off in the background here if i may uh okay yes very good uh ufc 297 is in the books and with that uh in in mind hey there we go Let's get our instant reaction going. I'm going to turn this off as well. All right. So this is kind of big, kind of interesting. Um, here's what I'm going to say about UFC 297 to open the show. UFC 297, of course, took place at the Scotia Bank Arena. This was in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This should be of note to you that Ontario, we'll come back to this, Ontario's rules are basically the same ones coming out of New Jersey and I'm not joking when I say this, circa 2003. They haven't really updated them since then, as to the best of my knowledge. So, they're dealing with very old MMA rules, or at least not rules that match the current MMA landscape. That's not really relevant for the main event, but it will be relevant through the course of this program. But okay, we start with the main event. Uh, here's how it goes, ready? Drickus Duplessis defeats Sean Strickland via split decision. 2 48-47s in one direction for DDP, one 47 for Sean Strickland. I will tell you, I think that's pretty fair. I honestly thought by the end of the fifth round, you could go really either way. I did not think that one guy necessarily, it's not quite true. There is a case for Sean Strickland 48-47, really no issue for me. I think it'd be like 1-3 and 5. If you ha- if you have a scorecard for Sean Strickland, I'm going to guess it's 1-3 and 5. If you have a scorecard for DDP, it's probably 1 and 5, Strickland 2 through 4 DDP. There might be some variation of that, but it's probably something like that. In the lead up to this particular fight, the conversation around the main event was that one, if you looked at the odds, they were very, very close. Let me make sure no one email, uh, text me. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Uh, the odds were very, very close, which I'm sure you understand, and we all understood that, but the fight on paper was really close. We just didn't really know how these two were going to match up or what was really going to be the true fault line or where it all kind of fall apart if it did and who had a decisive advantage in one particular area versus the other it was close it was kind of hard to say exactly how some of this would go recall that most people did not have Sean Strickland becoming champion to begin with, and he goes and he performs quite ably and obviously winning the title, and then gets to this position. Same thing for Drigas Duplessis. Not many people had him, at least ahead of the fight, beating Robert Whitaker, and of course he does, and he gets to this position. So you even heard Dominic Cruz, who had some strange commentary tonight related to, like, cuts and their value, which was kind of weird. Dominic Cruz seemed to think that if, like, you get a cut in. I mean, I can't say this is exactly what he thought, but it appeared that what he thought was that in any bout, let's say you get a cut in the first round, that that that, that damage helps you win the consecutive second and third rounds just based on the damage done in the first round, even if it's not necessarily impacting you. Like, it, it, it would still be have this lingering value, even though that's not really how it goes at all. Anyway, that's not the point. But... Um, you, you just knew that this fight between Strickland and DDP was going to be close and that th- there was something left to prove for whoever would emerge as the winner. there had to be another gear to hit. I will tell you, here is basically what I think this fight came down to. We're going to look at some of the numbers here in just a second. We're going to take a look at some of the things that may have contributed um, as best we can here at, at, at 2 in the morning. I will tell you that it just looked to me, and of course, it's a little bit more complicated than this. But it just looked to me that, like, if you look at the raw numbers, I'm going to guess that Sean Strickland does get credited with a lot of strike attempts. But it did. It seemed to me the overall amount of clashing that they did, even in the fifth round, this wasn't so true, but definitely true in the second round through most of the rest of the up to the fourth and even part of the fifth. It just seemed like it was from a labor issue. Drickus doing more, he just did a little bit more, he was trying to force things back, he was trying to put combinations together, he was trying to you know, knock on the door so to speak with leg kicks and, and, and the other side of the story is with Sean Strickland which we knew would be his bread and butter, it seemed to be more a function of his defensive prowess. I will tell you I was really wondering, I, you know it's kind of funny man, like it's not that I don't have a higher opinion of Drickus from winning this, of course I do. And it's not great that Sean Strickland, for his own legacy, lost in his first title defense. That's not great either. But at the same time, there was a part of me that was really wondering with this fight, how was the defense of Sean Strickland going to hold up over time against Strickus? Which is to say, you knew it'd be good for a while, but would it be able to maintain its poise throughout the course of the onslaught? And obviously, if he lost, it wasn't good enough. But I actually thought it was really good. I... The thing you thought, well, at least what I had considered was in looking back at the Izzy fight for Drickus, I really believe, uh, excuse me, not for Drickus, for Sean, was that Sean was able to slow the fight down and a guy like Izzy who faints and faints and faints and switches stance and then moves and resets, that that, that lowering of the output really dovetailed quite naturally with that defensive pressure style, right? Because he's, he's blocking, he's throwing traffic up, he's leaning, he's getting out of the way all that kind of stuff. But in the end, you know, he's putting forward pressure on you. Uh, That worked really well against that particular opponent based on the way that his style goes and based on the way that Izzy approached that fight. Sean just had a great game plan. He had a great execution. And that was one of those fights on that particular night where I really thought, wow, man, that style worked super well for Sean in this, in this individual matchup. And you know it's going to be like smothering for any good middleweight, like it's not like it doesn't scale; it scales, but you just wonder where that might fall apart. Man, it it didn't really ever fall apart. Like this was a this was nip and tuck both directions. His defense looked tremendous to me, even if he gave up the takedown a bunch of times. I, again, we'll look at what the numbers end up being. So I, I don't know what they are, but it was at least a near handful of takedowns. Dricus couldn't really do much with them, so it was impressive that Drickus was able to get them. And this is something that we had talked about in my personal film study on my personal YouTube channel, which was that, like, folks, like, how do you attack the style that Sean has? If he's raising a leg and then he's leaning, well, he's going to be pretty hard to hit. You can go to the body, as the commentary crew indicated, but the other one was you can just get under him and go for the takedown. So Drickus actually employed some of that here tonight and then still really couldn't make good use with it. It was just... The guy who won just seemed to be the one who, I'm not saying numerically this is quite true, but the way it appeared was, or it might be numerically true, but it appeared to be the guy just kind of swinging the axe more to chop the tree, just put a little bit more effort into it, and then it was Sean blocking, rolling, you know, uh, traffic blocking, all, all that stuff, all the different things that he does. His leg, dude, his leg kicking game was tremendous, or, I, I should say, excuse me one more time, the leg-kicking defense from Sean Strickland was tremendous. Right? So it's funny, man. Like, on the one hand, he loses tonight, and that's not great. Uh, and you got to give it to DDP. He had the crowd chanting his name in the fifth round, and they had come out with any number of different different slogans. Uh, but, you know, all of them, to my best of my memory, in unanimity for Sean or, you know, uh, certainly none for DDP up until that fifth round, so he had really turned the tide. But I actually thought this was a pretty good defense, a very good defensive performance from Sean Strickland. the The issue for me is he spent a little bit too much time either throwing stuff past the first round that wasn't of significant consequence, or just not throwing enough at all. So his defense remained very, very stout. He did block a lot and, and get out of the way of a lot, but he just didn't get a lot going after that first round. His jab in the first round is really good, right? And you heard Trickus talk about it where he's got that kind of roll where the elbow comes up first almost a little bit and sometimes he can get a high elbow block, but then it can roll into a hook or it can just kind of come in like a crooked jab. It's a it's a nice it was it was doing good work in that first round. Kind of got away from it, got away from the push kicks, got away from the rear leg teeps, got away from a few of those things and then just started to play defense a little bit more and the defense was good. The defense was really good it just wasn't enough it just wasn't enough to score enough points i think it really comes down to that it's not there wasn't a huge degree of separation and like the other weird part too is like dude sometimes drickus would throw stuff that you thought was good so right from the southpaw stance what would drickus do there the body kick was a big one right so if he goes to southpaw and it's orthodox now you've got open stance Dricas was going to the body kick over and over again, going to the head kick. Um, that those things, even when it got Sean to block or transfer his defense, it usually moved him out of position. It got a reaction from the crowd. Sometimes it even snuck through a little bit and, you know, kind of wobbled him to the side as opposed to just catching it, you know, out here. You know, it had some effect. Some of the body kicks were tremendous, although it didn't seem to slow down Sean's cardio at all. I got you know what? That's not quite true. I thought Sean and Dricas were kind of slowing down towards the end of the fourth but in general they had a good strong fifth they ended the fifth on a high note there was a lot going there just wasn't enough offense I want to look at some of these numbers and see if that bears out uh, ultimately in the end wow sort of sort of yeah sort of no not really (laughs) not really okay that's interesting oh that's really interesting okay so numerically, here's, again, this is numerically, so this is quite literally uh, quantitative, not necessarily qualitative, but I do think it sort of tells the story of the fight. First of all, six takedowns for Drickus uh out of 11 attempts, a 54% takedown success rate for two minutes and eight seconds of control time. So six takedowns is very impressive. The guy's a bull, and he got it, dude. He was so good, he would whip him off the body lock in one direction and trip him the other. He ran down a double a couple times. I think he even got a single. There's a bunch of different stuff that he had. Those were great, but just to get two minutes of control time over six takedowns through five rounds is, I'm not saying it's not nothing, but that doesn't get you much in the end, obviously. But these numbers, to me, are significantly more interesting. Uh, They're up being... They're being uh, updated in real time by FightMetric, so if they change, I'll let you know. But it appears as follows: overall significant strikes landed, 173 for Sean Strickland, 137 for Drickus Duplessis. A lot of what he threw did not get through. Also, they credited Sean Strickland. Now, this part you got to be careful on. They credit Sean Strickland with attempting 419 total strikes, but a lot of those are not necessarily going to be a lot of things of consequence. Whereas um Dricus for whatever quality the motion and mechanics had he's putting a little bit more on it but okay doesn't matter first round Sean Strickland again quantitative totals Sean Strickland 34 strikes landed in round one Dricus Duplicy just 18. Sean Strickland round not just because he has higher numbers but because he did better work in that round although two or three takedowns for Dricus in that particular frame but then things began to reverse again quantitative totals 26 for Drickus Duplicy, 22 in round two for Sean Strickland. One of one takedowns for 22 seconds of control time for Dricus. Round three, very close. 31 significant strikes to Dricus's 29. No takedown attempts, no nothing. That could be one of those rounds that, again, you know, so since the quantitative total is nearly identical, that comes down to the, the quality of what the judges ended up seeing. Round four... Sean Strickland 33 to Drickus 29. There was three of five takedown attempts for a minute 18 of control time. Uh, Okay, so I thought he just did better overall work there. And then round five, I thought it was the opposite. Sean Strickland 53 significant strikes landed to 35 for Drickus. Uh, He went 0 for 2 on takedown attempts. And there you have it. Targeting. Targeting. Sean Strickland 90% to the head. 90 to the body five percent to the leg three. He just he's a he he headhunt in this one. Little bit of work to the leg, not much. It's so much defensive catch. He just plays at this level. He doesn't play at any other particular level. Uh Drink his Double C 59% to the head, 23% to the body, 17% to the leg. So what was Sean's targeting? So it was ninety five three, right? What was his targeting against Izzy? Wow, completely different. Sean Strickland, 90, excuse me, 62% to the head against Izzy, 32% to the body, just 5% to the leg. Not a big leg kicker, but went much more to the body against Izzy. This one, he didn't really do. So I talked about what some of the stances that you saw from Drickus, right? Uh, he would do southpaw, go to the body, go to the head. He would do another one where he would switch stance back into orthodox, and then he would use that to then land the overhand. Right at times, so it was like almost like a double, like shift, double shift, to go all the way through. Or he would shift and then underhook, uh, that kind of stuff. He, he had to really find. Or you saw him; he would shift and then do a spinning back fist at times. He had a real hard time finding a guy who wants to lean away. Corey Sandhagen has talked about this. Leaning away can come with a lot of risks, especially in boxing, where the space can be more constrained and you're on right angles, so it's very hard to circle out if you're just backing up straight. But you can back up straight in MMA, or especially in the big UFC octagon, you can just you can post and move out of the way. It's actually I'm not going to say easy to get out of the way, but it, you can get away. You can get away with certain things that would not necessarily be things you can get away with in other composite combat sports. But Sean has made quite an art form out of just pushing and getting out of the way. So Drakus was trying all kinds of goofy shit, like inside cut kick to overhand right to left hook. There were times he would go shift right to the bot, excuse me, shift left to the body, right over the top, like just all different kinds of things where he could take big steps because they were really on the outside of one another um, for long periods. And then the fight got closer, and then it became you know hand to hand. But even still, or I should say, uh, you know, mid range boxing range, just outside mid range, which made the fight. I think, open up a little bit more. Uh, but still, Sean kind of maintains that like that range right outside of it. It's very hard to get the guy, especially because of his footwork, right? He doesn't get too close to the fence where he leans and then he can get popped. And he's not pressuring the same where he did against Pereira, where he was just kind of walking the guy down. It's a different kind of more calculated pressure now. And all those things keep him a lot safer. Dude, he's hard to hit. He's hard to hit clean. Um, somewhere around the third or fourth round, I forget exactly where he got hit around his left eye and then begin to bleed profusely from that. I suspect that, that played probably to the whole Dominic Cruz theory, but in all seriousness it probably played some role. Both in whatever message it might have sent to the judges, and also you did see Dricus in that frame, I believe it was round four, but we have to go back and look. You did see him in that frame make more contact with his right coming over the top against that left eye, which makes a lot more sense. Sometimes he would hook and come over the top. Um, but you, you saw him make a little bit more context so It appeared to have a definite impact um, At least for various moments in time On his vision And there was actually one time I thought Drickus pushed Sean into the fence Took him down And there's a moment where Sean like like visibly I don't know if it was wincing is exactly the word from pain But like trying to like blink hard To wash out whatever blood was in his eye But it, it appeared to have some kind of an effect but there was um but there doesn't appear to be any magic to speak of in this particular context this is the interesting part for me here for Dricus Duplessis is um, you know, he had different stuff working from different stances. The overhand right was a hard thing for him to work. He did have a jab from both stances that worked. I thought it worked better from orthodox, but that was part of it as well. He had different guards he implemented. Obviously, he went back to the high guard. You, it, that was an interesting part too. That high guard from from DDP. You always imagine guys are going to go to the body on him, and they don't. I don't think they want to get close enough um, necessarily to do that or change levels in that way. Certainly, Sean didn't want to do that, so that kind of limited exactly what he was throwing for. Uh, he didn't throw any kicks to the body himself kind of leaving something on the table there um but as I mentioned at the top of the of the program it just seemed to me that like it was a little bit more a function of just the dueling the blitzing the pushing the guy back. One guy was just defensively reacting more than the other guy and that isn't necessarily always the best way to judge this fight although again I think DDP winning is should be in no way controversial this fight was you know very very close and him winning. Makes total sense. You can totally understand it. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying, if you react defensively enough, that's really great to keep you safe. That's really great to keep you in the in the ballgame. <coughs> it's not going to be really great to get the dub. It's not going to be good enough. You actually have to put meaningful offense together behind it. And there just wasn't quite enough of it. You saw from 90% more there wasn't enough diversification of targets. Getting away from it's great to stop the leg kicking, but getting away from your own teeps, making him force himself outside of range, making him work even further, putting a little bit more steam on him, getting back to the jab. He was just kind of waiting to use his hands to block and then get out of the way. It's not really gonna be enough. Let me see if there's anything else in that in those numbers. Have they been updated? No, those appear to be the final ones. They've not been updated. Yeah. Still 173 for Strickland overall. Significant strikes 137. I want to see about the targeting of the legs. Targeting of the legs for each guy. Dirkus Duple C targeted the legs 34 times. 34 times he targeted the legs. Hit him 24 times. Strickland just six. Almost just one around. That's it. Four for four in round one. That's pretty good. Uh, One for one in round two. Zero for zero in round three. Zero for zero in round four. One for one in round five. That could have been a difference maker for him too. Um... Didn't get that going. I'm trying to see, uh, targeting the body. Yeah, just 10 for Sean Strickland. 32 for Drickus Duplessis, Two for four to the body. For round one, Sean Strickland, one of two in round two. Two of three in round three. One of one in round four. And then four of five, he begin to open up there. Although, listen to this. Head targeting, 81 strikes for Drickus Duplessis 157 157 of 3.87 attempted for Sean Strickland. It was, that was really the entire amount. That was it. I, I, I would argue, so if now if we're piecing together, from what the numbers tell us, what the videotape showed us, now thinking about it, I would argue some of the things that I've already mentioned, um, but putting together a sort of a comprehensive whole here, the, I, I really believe Sean Strickland's lack of offensive diversity in terms of both the targeting, combination work, and it's, again, numerically, there's a lot of it to like in terms of what the head strikes were, but in terms of the overall combinations that involved things outside of that or in- involved it in different ways, like, you know, a two-punch combo, then you go to the head kick or something like that, he didn't really, he wasn't really doing anything like that, 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 that limited his opportunities here as well, that really limited him. So in the end, we get a contest where the guy who was the champion performed pretty ably especially on the defensive side. And then we have a guy like Drikas Duplessis who we knew was slightly more offense-oriented that ended up being mostly the difference that we thought it would. And it sets up what you might imagine as Drikas Duplessis, what he has said was he wanted a shot against Israel, well, not a shot, but a, a fight against the former champ Israel Adesanya, right? He wants to fight Izzy, which I'd be cool with. I don't know if it's exactly what everyone else wants. I guess we'll see what the fan base really feels like. To me, that is um, a fun contest. I did not believe that Izzy deserved an automatic rematch after losing to Sean, but then Sean taking this and now it creating a situation where who would be next? I don't think Hamzad is the guy right now, although we shall see. I, I take the Izzy fight big time. I don't know. Does that headline 300? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I I wouldn't be against it. I don't know if that's exactly the blockbuster main event that people are necessarily hoping for. Uh, it could be, but that appears to be a possibility. I, w- I really enjoy that fight. And to me, that one is a little bit more interesting. Izzy is not as defensively, his game is not as defensively. He has good defense. He has very good defense. He doesn't take too many shots cleanly, but Sean's style is to kind of be in the space, and it's defensive friction. Hands up, blocking, you know, it's kind of bouncing off his shoulder. It's a lot of friction. I'm blocking punching lanes. I'm, you know, catching a lot on the arms and shoulders, and I'm kind of just in that space. Izzy's a little bit more head movement, stuff misses, then he counters. Or Robert Whitaker's in front of him, and he's backing up, and he's punching that way, right? It's a very different kind of style. Where it's, a, that, that's a little bit more brute force meets offensive kind of, um, there's both very technical but a little bit more razzle dazzle. That's actually going to be a really interesting matchup with a big, I think, uh, possibility for a KO relative to this one where both guys are, Sean doesn't have a ton of offensive firepower. DDP does, but he's heavily thwarted by a guy who's got excellent defense. So you had a good fight, but a little bit stuck, stuck in the mud. yeah, maybe a little bit stuck in the mud. a little bit, a little bit. a good fight, but a little bit stuck in the mud, I think, as a consequence. a little bit of that. Um, and that's the fight. I think the bigger story will be looking at the individual offensive sequences that both guys tried. What were some of the very specific details? of what we saw from what Sean offered defensively, what Drickus was doing defensively, we talked about the different preferences from what he liked from different stances, some of the different uh, stance switching combinations and different entries, again, some of the the, the amount of attacking, the amount of overall work he's put together, the amount of times he was working for takedowns, just did a little bit more offensively in the end, but the nuances of what they were trying, and again, I'm going to go back to it one more time. Dude, Sean Strickland's defense, to me, is going to, like, whatever he's got going now, the style he's cooking with now, I don't know if he's going to win every fight, but he's going to, like, absolutely this, I mean, he's been doing it for a while, but, you know, against Pereira, it wasn't a great example. And then, you like, you're beating, you know, the Abus Megamedovs of the world, and it's hard to know exactly how good the offense is or even needs to be. And then you see it against Izzy, you're like, oh, yeah, it's very good. Then you see it against Strickland, and you're like, right, this is going to scale against elite opponents for a while like this is like and by the way the idea that he might not come back to this place and get a title shot always these are questions about how much the UFC wants to see you in those positions that is incontestably true but it's not like he got the doors blown off him tonight he certainly did not he has a case for even winning it and what he's got going and how old is Sean Strickland Sean Strickland currently sits with us at yeah, he's 32. He'll be 33 in February, but still, that's you know, close to prime. I have to tell you, um, he might get back here sooner or later. I don't think it's out of the question at all. I mean, it's hard to say. The, the world is unpredictable, but he's got exactly the kind of defense that's going to keep him in make any kind of fight with any kind of, it, dude, it's like he throws on the gi and the game slows down like his style of defense slows everything down it makes everything more measurable makes everything a little bit easier to react to even if he's flinching it does create other openings but even when you take advantage of those openings he has stalwart defense um, on those second and third layers as well uh, as we indicated like we guys where if you're if you're not balanced because you're leaning you're available for the takedown, but then even if you get the takedown, you can look at how much he really resists that as well. Dude, he's going to be a tough guy to beat. He's going to be a very, very tough guy to beat. Uh, he got beat today, but barely, and um, his defense is remarkable. He might have the best defense. He's got the most un- some of the most unusual defense, certainly in the UFC middleweight division and UFC overall, but some of the most effective as well. It's just... Um, it's an admirable skill to have. It's going to keep him in competitive fights against elite guys, but if he really wants... It's the same thing. It's not the same problem in terms of the specific tactical choices, but if I'm being honest, I think it's the thing that kind of cost him against Jared Cannonier as well. I just didn't feel like he did enough in that contest. Let me look at the numbers in the Jared Cannonier fight. Do the numbers back up my claim? Let's see. And obviously, against Imavov, he had plenty. But against Jared Cannonier, he, again, he attempted 410 strikes in that fight. Only landed 157 of them, which was more than Cannoneer's 141. So let's go through the numbers. Cannoneer, 16 to 13, round one. Cannoneer, 25 to 28, round two. Oh, these are very close. Jesus, 33 to 35, round three. Cannoneer to Strickland, 27 to 33. And then 40 to 43. These guys were never more than six strikes apart. So that's a little bit different. They were kind of always neck and neck. This one had more lopsided round one and round five but nevertheless he never kind of broke away from the other guy against cannoneer and here he had enough rounds with the other guy was just a little bit more so i would i i would say if you're sean strickland you're in his corner you in his coach there's a lot to like here there's a lot to take home there's a lot that's going to keep you in the ball game going forward if there is a common denominator about some things that have held him back it just has to be not what the numeric striking totals show, but about meaningful offense that has a memorable impact or otherwise changes your opponent's incentives or decision making. There is not enough of that. Whereas you do get enough of that with Drickus, even if you get some bizarre mechanics, even if you get him slipping. And I mean, how many times do you see him throw a, a an overhand right and then fall forward? Or you know, you see it a lot on spinning back fists, but even even not on spinning back fists. He was falling all over the place a little bit. I mean, yeah, he's trying to go, and that that was great. But he's he's you know, he's getting after it even, even to the point of putting himself out of position and off balance. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that. I'm just saying it's kind of emblematic of the story of the fight. So, um, uh, both guys. I. It's not great to lose again if you're Sean Strickland, but I don't think this is as I indicate. I don't think this is hardly the uh, the any kind of death sentence or his future. And for Drickus, it looks like Izzy is probably going to be next. And where that goes and when on the calendar that is will be kind of interesting. Um, We shall see. I had to get some water. Excuse me. Uh, Okay, we'll get to some of these questions about it here in just a minute. All right, let's talk about this co-main event for as little as possible. Little as possible. Uh, Raquel Pennington defeats Myra Bueno Silva 49-46 on two of the judges scorecards and then 49-45 on one of the other ones. Um, not a great fight at all. Uh, Raquel Pennington, your obvious and deserved winner. Raquel could have punted on the first few rounds, and, or the first couple of rounds anyway, and then just won on, again, kind of effort. In the last three. Bueno, Silva was not there at all in the last two rounds, was barely there in the third. And um that fight was terrible. That fight was terrible. Silva literally finished the fight on her back getting leg kicked and like not even like hardcore leg kicks, not like Sakuraba leg kicks or something. Just, just like standard old leg kicks or whatever, just like you know, kind of keeping you busy. And, like, laid there for, like, 30 seconds doing that. Like, she was absolutely not prepared for a five-round title fight. To me, there actually is a pretty cool story here, which Rocky Pennington, over the age of 35, gets a remarkable win, which is really hard to get. Somebody sent me some math, by the way. It turns out that, like, when you really begin to see decline among elite fighters on the male side, 125 to 170, it's actually not 35 it's actually 34. 34 is when the the real switch begins to flip in terms of negative things happening for their chances. But here Raquel Pennington at 35 gets the job done and was the deserved winner. And I will tell you that this was not a position most folks thought she would be in after the fourth round of her fight against Amanda Nunes when she turned to her corner and said she did not want to go back out there. They kind of cajoled her into going back out there, which ended up being this large controversy. And then she got pummeled in the fifth round. I think she got her nose broken, and you're like, okay, well, that's that. But then Amanda Nunes basically flattens the division and then leaves, and Pennington's just kind of hanging around using veteran savvy, good clinch work, good effort, understanding how to win rounds, understanding how to neutralize opponents, and put together a decent win streak. She arrives at this position. Bueno Silva has a great ninja choke, which we kind of knew, or you can also – ninja choke's like a newish term. That used to just be called a power guillotine, but whatever. Um. Anyway, the point is uh, they can be slightly different too. But the point being is um, Silva just had nothing really in general. At first, she had some stuff. She had great back takes. She had good back control. She has she has a very good ability to off balance from the back, even when you're standing with like with like these with like these like these inside rides. She has a lot of ability there. She has there was a moment there where she was across the jaw from the back. And she was really beginning to threaten. But once you saw that Pennington is not going to go away easy. Pennington, Pennington's going to be hard to hurt. She's going to be hard to submit. She won't necessarily be hard to score on, either with control from the back or with any other kinds of strikes, which you did see from Silva. Um, but there was no ability for Silva to have any sustained effort. She gassed, like basically after the third, and kind of just laid down in the fourth, and then definitely laid down in the fifth. I mean, usually you use the term like laid down almost like metaphorically, like, hey, we're not going to lay down for this opponent. She's like literally laid down. I mean, not maybe perhaps not in spirit, but in physicality, that she definitely was just not doing a whole lot. So it's not like, you know, it's like individual sequences on takedowns and whatnot. Like Silva looked better. She looked like she had had great elbows in the clinch uh, off of framing. I thought that was really good as well. Like she had some nice weapons. But so much of this game, so much of this game comes down to knowing how to stay alive, how to minimize damage to the extent possible, as we indicated in the main event, knowing how to win rounds, having good cardio, uh, knowing how to push late, right? Mm-hmm. And just sort of just being present in a fight and waiting for a mistake to happen. And a big mistake is either... I, I, however you want to explain why Silva didn't have the requisite cardio, that is up to you. But that was the problem. She had not the requisite cardio And it really limited her attacks, where she was just kind of lazily like working from guard. A couple times she was threatening with triangles. Um, You know, the middle parts, middle to latest parts of that fight, but they were never really all that close. Um, Yeah, I hated this fight. I didn't like this fight at all. Let me look at some of my notes here that I made, uh, if I can. I had to take notes on this one, because I was like, I'm not going to forget, I remember a goddamn thing. Yeah, initially great leg kicks, and then back control, ninja choke, and then when that would fail, like she would go for the ninja choke. Right, and then she would try and lock it up here, and then it would pop out. So she would take that that elbow and then just slice with it. That was nice. I like that round two. Again, elbows and clinching, framing, and there were some good body work she was able to do. Pennington was able to start scoring over the top with right hands, off her blitzes, and then there was the back take, and then the semi-close one over the jaw. Round three, that I even have my notes. She begins to fade and then sits to half guard, half guard to like thwart choke attempts, which is a bad news. Uh, Didn't threaten from guard at all, hardly in round four. Had a failed arm triangle from mount. Raquel Pennington did, which somehow never. It felt like she had the mount and mounted arm triangle for like seven days, and it just didn't finish. I think there was like three minutes left in the round, and Daniel Cormier was like, she'll lay here for three minutes. And I was like, I think Cormier's right. I think Cormier's right. Um, So Terrible terrible fight, not that interesting. It just felt like a sort of standard women's bantamweight fight that just happened to be 5 rounds. I feel great for Rocky Pennington's story, someone who's been around a long time, someone who's put in a lot of work, someone who's been in the trenches, someone who waited her turn. You you have to feel good about that. There was a lot of factors that could have prevented her from being here and um they would have tripped up a lot of fighters. They didn't trip up her she was able to make it across the finish line. And for that, I think we should all be uh, appreciative and respectful of what she's been able to achieve. At the same time, how does one look at a result like this and think that, like, let me just ask you. If you're Valentina Shevchenko, do you like your chances of winning the belt back or winning the belt at 135? (laughs) Gotta tell you, I would. I would. I'd like my chances. Um, Pennington, you knew that this fight was gonna take place in the clinch, and she's gonna be able to. Even though her coaches were telling her to fight her at distance for most of the time, but the clinch is like a safe zone. She knows how to work there. She knows how to stay safe. She knows how to turn. She knows how to cover. She knows how to do a lot from there. She knows how to trip. She knows how to punch. She knows how to like underhook and pull and turn. She's got a lot of safe places. She just really knows how to hang out in some of those spots. You knew it was going to get there. You just didn't think it would wear out her opponent to that point. I'm just sort of trying to say, like, what's the... Pennington is very well-rounded. Pennington had a great game plan, and she... Well, that's not quite true. She had Her coaches had a great game plan. She didn't execute on, execute on it, but she still nevertheless managed to get the win. I mean, that's sort of the part that really kind of gets me. It's like she didn't really execute on what it appeared that her coaches wanted her to do and still was able to get the job done, which means it was like a really epic collapse, in my view, from Silva. Um, but like, did did you get the opinion when you watch this that the the winner had like a mandate? You know, like oh wow, like this person's like the person in this division. You know, and I recognize the division is not strong, but I'm like saying, did you get this overwhelming show of force from the champion? You didn't get that from DDP, but you have seen it as recently as his last fight before this, and in many others as well. Rocky Pennington's career is filled with a lot of great wins and a lot of respectful and respectable, excuse me, performances but a lot of decisions, a lot of split decisions. I think she's got four finishes overall, three by a choke, only one by KO or TKO, and I think it's like through 18 plus fights or something like that in the UFC. It's a lot, right? I mean, or I should say it's not much, but it's a lot of it's a lot of overall work, but not that much in terms of the kind that we really value. I did not walk away from this performance thinking well, she'll, she's clearly going to be the champion for the foreseeable future. I didn't get that opinion at all. So she is that tonight. That is very much something that we should not take from her. We should not in, you know, completely be like, oh, it's, you know, clo- I, I saw people being like, close the division. Well, that's a little strong. That's a little strong. But I certainly recognize there was not much in that performance that I was watching and being like, well, this is clearly the person that's going to hold this title for a quite quite a long time. No. Not at all that. And for Silva, it's like, you beat Holly Holm, then there was the USADA thing, you know, whatever. She had some documentation to to apparently justify her cause, and then she comes out here and just lays, like, the biggest of eggs. And it's like, no one was really all that excited about this performance, and it looked like now their pessimism heading into the contest ended up being quite justified. It was just another fight. It just happened to go a little bit longer. But, like, I don't... There, there is no, like... There was no... The DDP Strickland fight was not a crazy barn burner, but you could tell there was a lot of different intricacies of two guys who were ready to go for 25 minutes. And again, it was nip and tuck. This was just uh, a good fighter beat uh, a fighter who does have some talent, but seemed unprepared for the moment, and ultimately got beat through just pure effort and better decision making down the stretch. But nothing like especially like super brilliant decision making. Just you know, meat and potatoes. The kind of thing that she's done to accumulate um the opportunities that have been given to her i respect it but it's you know we have to call it what it is it's not it's not like the highest level of achievement and or ability we have seen in the fight game it's good for what it was and that's really you know that's a good that's that's fine but it's not much more than that so i don't have much more to say on this one are there any numbers to this one that are kind of interesting let's see just very briefly if i may i haven't even looked at these yet yeah, jesus Raquel Pennington, 134 significant strikes Landed to Silva's 69 Yikes Uh, Pennington's credited with one takedown out of three Two sub-attempts, two reversals Silva credited with three of nine takedowns Three sub-attempts, no reversals Uh, Pennington actually accumulating 11 and a half minutes of control time. Silva, eight and a half minutes, or or nearly nine minutes, excuse me. Now, control time in this particular case, not just on top, but pressing into the fence. So it's a little bit warped. Let me just look, see if there's anything in the numbers. No, not necessarily Uh, the targeting. It all looks uh, about as you might expect. Yeah, not a lot of leg kicking either, necessarily, especially from Raquel Pennington. But you kind of knew the heading in. All right. Uh, elsewhere on this card, Neil Magny defeating Mike Malott, dude. What the fuck happened here? Wow, um, this was a bad loss for Mike Malott. Um, he loses via TKO at 4:45 in round three. All he had to do was hang on. Now maybe round three would have been 10-8, maybe, probably not, but maybe, and it would have been a draw. But that would have been better than what happened which is him getting finished with 15 fucking seconds left in the fight. Okay. Jesus. Mike, what happened here, dude? What happened? All right, I'll tell you what happened. I literally was watching this fight being like, I think Neil Magny is shot. Like, I don't even know what he's got left. And he did not look great. We should be clear. First two rounds, I wrote on Twitter that he had lost the fight through the first two rounds everywhere, and that's true. There was nowhere he was winning that fight where it was being contested. There was nowhere he was winning that fight. He was losing in the stand-up. Again, not necessarily horribly, but the leg kicks were landing, certainly in round number one, for example. Uh, To the extent that Malat wanted the takedowns, I I believe uh, we'll go to some of the numbers here as well. I want to see those. Yeah, let's see these takedowns for Malat. He got four of six, not winning in the first. He got two in the second. He got two in the fourth, or two in the third, excuse me, of four. And then it blew up in his face. Listen to these numbers. 20 st- significant strikes landed for Mike Malott in round one. Just five for Neil Magny. Round two, 21 significant strikes landed for Mike Malott, Just six for Neil Magny, plus the two takedowns, plus three minutes of control time. All right? And then in round three, he goes for a guillotine. Neil Magny kind of picks him up, almost like a double. I think he did have a double. Kind of dropped him. let lets go of the choke, goes to full guard. I went back and I looked. So he crosses his feet. Okay, so he has guard. Then he opens his guard. Fine. No problem. He wants to get his offense going. Maybe he wants to stand. No. He begins to go for leg locks. Folks, you got to understand something. And I'm again, I'm, I it's not that Mike Malat doesn't know this. I don't know what he was thinking exactly. But what I can say is, here's what you commonly see in this battle for people who are not like Charles Oliveira, for example. Charles Oliveira will go from full guard, open guard, he will go for some kind of leg entanglement, reverse De La Riva, De La Riva, spin underneath, begin to go for leg locks, and he'll go from all different kinds of position, backside 50-50, you name it, and then if they don't work, guys a lot of times escape and he can stand up, or they might try to re-entangle and he can go back to that entanglement process, he can more or less keep himself safe because a lot of what he's doing is off-balancing his opponents. He's rolling underneath them. He's forcing them to their hands on the mat, right? He's spreading their feet apart. like So he's really challenging their balance. He's challenging their ability to get a stable structure and do work or separate. And he's very, very good about that. I'm not saying Mike Mallott, is not good at that but he's not charles Oliveira good at that so what did you notice about this a lot of times guys when they roll underneath for leg locks which is exactly what he did they have trouble off balancing his opponent he does get one i think it was like a like a kuru kuru guard i have to go back and look or may have been a broom sweep i have to go no a tripod sweep i have to go back and check and see exactly how he did it. he does sit him down for a second and then goes for a heel hook and then but the problem is magny's able to force his leg across the other side and then Senkaku, it to triangle it, and then basically pounds on him. And what happens to Mike Malotte in the process? He ends up in leg drag. He ends up in leg drag, to which Magni then goes to side, then goes to mount, and then goes to victory. By leg drag, what do I mean? Leg drag is when their hips go this way, and then their shoulders go the other way, or their shoulders are flat to the mat, and the hips go the other way, and you have one leg between their legs. So you're pinning the bottom leg. You can just easily move to side. Rather than being at side control, you're kind of pinning the dominant down. Or you're pinning the, the bottom leg with your inside, inside leg. And then you're usually pinning the other shoulder flat. So the hips are going one way and the shoulders are supposed to be going the other way. It's called leg drag. You can look it up. Two words, leg drag. And there's all kinds of ways to get to leg drag. But his leg lock fails and he ends up in leg drag, which gives the opponent side control. Now he's exhausted because he 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 was straining to off balance straining to manipulate the weight and the and the motion of Neil Magny he gets exhausted and he gets mounted and he has no way to then get himself out of it and then loses the fucking fight like oh my god this was this was his chance he's 32 years old he I think his style is great I think he was actually like he should not have lost this fight like he's almost tailor made to beat a guy like Neil Magny strong in the clinch Keeps good range, good feinting. Uh, Used a lot of switch stances to get over with the right hook. That wasn't working for him this time. No Magnet was able to get away, and they they kind of saw that coming. But nevertheless, the leg kicking was great. On top, the ground and pound was good. He was moving to mount himself. He had mount for most of the second round, I believe, certainly a long amount of it. He had three minutes and eight seconds of control time. He had everything going for him. He had exactly the kind of physicality he needs. He had the the technical jujitsu that he needed. He made an epically bad call in the third got tired doing it, ended up in a horrible position, and then lost the fight as a consequence. You see so many guys roll underneath for leg locks and either end up in leg drag or with their back taken because they're not Charles Oliveira. Charles Oliveira is the opposite of this. He makes getting into leg locks and then getting out of them if someone neutralizes it. Like, for example, uh, Darius was able to neutralize it for as long as it lasted. Then, of course, he lost that fight as well. But, you know, you get the idea. Like, guys... Have to, they have a lot to deal with, and it doesn't last very long, even if they get out of one sequence. He doesn't, he doesn't like, oh, I'm going to go for a leg lock, and if this doesn't work, I'm going to end up in a shit position, and it's going to really compromise me. That That's not the game he's playing. But so many other guys, that is exactly the fucking game they're playing. Dude, listen to these numbers. What did I tell you for the first round? 20 to 5 for Malat to Magni, round one, 21 to 6, round two. How about this? 46 to fucking 4 for Magni. <laughs> 46 to 4. 46 to 4. Holy shit. Um, a minute 44 of control time. He gets credited with a takedown. Golly, man. Golly. I've never seen a guy go from. Uh, I, I just, I mean, he just. The fight, it was you just, just winning it until you weren't. Like literally just winning it until you weren't. And then he just got away from him. And that was it. Neil Magny is tough as shit, dude. Neil Magny is tough as old shoe leather. We go back to it. Being durable, knowing how to win rounds, having good cardio, staying in the fight, keeping your composure, keeping your head, not getting down about it. Raquel Pennington has some of this. Neil Magny has some of this. It's a super valuable fucking trait. It's a super valuable trait. Even if your opponent appears to be better at you in a lot of different circumstances, if they can't maintain this through the course of the contest, and you can, and your resistance um, what do they say um they, uh, they um what's the phrase? I can't remember it's late in the evening, but all they have to do is just hold on until you can't and then that's it. That's it. All they have to do is just wait you out until you're done and then they go, and then the whole shebang collapse thirty two years old it's not the end of the world for Mike Mallott, but this was I thought. His real chance to have a real breakout moment Was this card, it was this night And he did not That's a bad one That's a bad loss unfortunately for him Not irreparable But hometown crowd Or you know, hometown country Or home country An opponent that was tailor made in many ways Had a name You were doing everything you were supposed to And then made a super ill-advised call super ill-advised call to enter into a, a leg entanglement that he could not finish and couldn't get the off-balance. And dude, like once you're trying to off-balance, here's the other part too, which will tell you on like broom sweeps or in any kind of sweep where you're taking someone off their feet, it's not just about I'm going to pull their ankles and then push on their hips or whatever the mechanism is to get them down and that sits them down. When, when they sit down, you have to come up. It has to be both at the same time and you collect an ankle. And all he ever did was, sit magni down and then try and still stay underneath no no you got to get up you got to take him down and get up at the same time and you can't wait for it either you can't like sit him down and go okay well now that he's down now i'm going to get up no you got to go you got to go you got to fire and he didn't and uh and he paid for it he paid for it big wow unbelievable um, the Chris Chris excuse me I did not see this fight because I had some technical issues I had to work on Chris Curtis defeats Mark Andre Berriot via split decision, Two 30-27s for Chris one twenty nine twenty eight for Berriot. My understanding is this fight was pretty close but in the end Chris was the deserved winner. I don't have a lot to say about this one because I had missed most of it to deal with some other issues, uh, which takes us now to Movsar Evloev or uh, how, how did they say it Movsar Evloev 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 I'm just gonna call him Movsar. Uh, Defeats Arnold Allen, 29-28, across the board. So you knew going into this one, this was going to be largely or at least one of the very key battles was going to be the takedown. So let's look at some of these numbers and some of the notes I have on this takedown here if we can. The takedowns, I should say, in this fight. Uh, He gets credited, Movsar, with five takedowns out of 17 attempts. Jesus, just 29% conversion rate. Only three minutes and 31 seconds of control time. Which went 131 round one, 59 seconds round two, 101 round three. So the numbers for striking were really close 12 to 13 round one, 18 to 21 round two. Well, there were the, the two takedowns in each of those rounds. So you're like, okay, we don't know exactly how that first round is going. Let me look at my notes here from that fight. Um, you might be able to make a claim that Allen won round one and round three already. But I understand why Mozart won rounds one and rounds two. I don't think he won round three no matter what, so hence the 29-28. Um, I thought Allen's footwork was really good in terms of keeping him light and turning at angles. His down blocking was, for the most part, pretty excellent. His first order takedown defense was good. Not so much his second, but then his his resistance to getting up and never relenting to the position. I thought was excellent. Some, but I thought there were two major things that really tripped him up in this fight. One, he went for a lot of body work, which I do think is helpful and relevant, but it does not score to me as easily for the judges as something where the impact is more demonstrative, aka getting punched in the head and then the head flops back. It's demonstrative. The audience, excuse me, the judges can see this. It looks like something. Whereas getting hit in the gut, the guys might be having the best poker face that you've ever seen in your life. You don't even know that they're hurt at all. And they could be screaming inside with pain. But there's no real public account of it. I think over time that this has cost a lot of guys who've invested in body work a lot. I don't think that necessarily did him a favor. Although I did think that his down blocking was good. But as Dominic Cruz noted, it kind of took away from his jab, right? Because you have to hang it to down block. You can't have it up here to, to, to go. But really, what the true story of the fight is, is round three. And in round three, there is a moment where Allen has, they're both technically standing, although the question is about whether one was down, but Allen has control of Mozart on top and is firing knees. He fires, I think about three or four of them before referee Mark Goddard intervenes to call the contest, or to halt the contest because he believes that the knees were illegal. Remember at the top of the broadcast, I told you that Ontario basically uses New Jersey's rules from 2003. So what would that mean? What that would mean is if one hand is just touching the mat, you're down. Okay? It doesn't have to be just fingertips. It doesn't have to be full hand. It could be fingertips. It doesn't have to be fully weight-bearing. It just means you have to have contact. So what he was doing is from that front headlock, he was like you saw with uh, Gegard Mousasi and Chris Weidman, picking him up a little bit as he's throwing so that the knee is hitting him when his hand is literally like pulled off the mat to make the shot legal. Because if your knee is down, it doesn't matter if your hands are down, you're down. But his knee was not down. They were bent over at the waist. The only thing that was touching the ground were the soles of their feet and then Movsar's hand. So if you're pulling him up and then firing the knee, they should be legal, and it clearly won him the round, right? No, no even the even though what happened happened. So, Mark Goddard does not take a point, but he gives Arnold Allen a stern warning, and then they resume. So, Allen still wins the round, but this was a point where he was like landing damaging shots on Ev uh, on Mos- Sorry, Evloev, and it looked like or Evloev, however you're supposed to say it. And it looked like, not that a finish was imminent, but that this was the kind of thing that if it went just a little bit longer, could have resulted in something really bad for Movsar. Potentially even a stoppage. Again, we weren't close enough to really say that. But f- sure enough, the most damaging best work that Allen had in the fight was ultimately artificially halted and then stopped by virtue of this rule and the way in which it's interpreted. I have tried to make the case to folks that the people who might run one championship, they seem like not trustworthy people when they open their mouths, but the product that they put out, the one championship product is actually quite good. And in fact, I would argue that one's rules to me make a lot more sense than any version of the unified rule, because here is the reality about this. Is it the fingertips? Is it the full hand? Is it one hand and a knee? Is it two hands? Is it weight bearing? Is it not? None of those rules ever seem to solve the problem. At its core, you have to have rules that referees can enforce in real time. And I know a lot of people are going to look at Mark Goddard here and say, oh, he made a bad call. Well, he definitely didn't make, with the uh, ability of hindsight, he definitely did not make the correct call. But watching in real time, that is very difficult to get right. You're not the home plate umpire and you can see the runner running, you know, rounding third and he's gonna come in for a home plate collision. And so you can focus all of your attention on that one moment and you've got a few seconds to get ready, it just happens out of nowhere. And then it happens a bunch of multiple times. It's very, very difficult to adjudicate, especially jurisdiction to jurisdiction, which might have weight bearing, fingertips, all that whole shit, one hand, two hand, whatever. It's very difficult to adjudicate that in real time, even for an experienced pro referee like Mark Goddard. Mark Goddard is not a bad referee. That doesn't mean I think he made a great call, but I don't think that the preponderance of evidence shows that he is a bad referee. What it shows is that the sport needs rules that the public can relatively easily understand that are not a huge trade-off for safety and that can be enforced in real time. I would humbly submit to you folks, there are better ways to enforce safety and what kinds of circumstances where knees can be, or heads can be kneed, than the way in which we do it. I would argue to you that knees to the head of the body should be, or knees to the head of a grounded opponent, should only be illegal when their back, um, or when when their chest is facing the ceiling, when their back is touching the canvas. But such that they are on their knees, to me it should be fair game. That's a better rule, especially if everyone knows to expect it. Doesn't mean everyone always will, but the data that we have from one championship in evaluating how many bouts were ultimately concluded, because there's, this is a uh, an extra way in which opponents can be hit in one that they can't be hit, for example, in anyone using the unified rules, it's a very, very small amount, and it's only like, on some uh, I think, like some of the heavier weight classes. It, it's not hardly at all what you think. Eric McGracken from Combat Sports Law has some of the numbers on this. It's actually quite small, but in the relevant cases where it could be very important, you at least have that option. And everyone's got clarity no matter what. You can only be need if you're on your back. Other than that, fuck off. And you might be asking, well, why can't you be need on your back? Your, your head has nowhere to flex. Um, your neck can move, right? You can move it all around. If you get hit in the head, it has the ability to flex. If your back is on the canvas, it does not have that. Um, and so I think it should be outlawed in circumstances like that. But if you're on your hands and knees, if you're on your base, it to me is completely fair game. Um, there's other ways that you should can be hit. Like if there's people who are in two leg lock situations, I, sh- I think you should be able to hit the other person in the face. If so, if both are seated, then it could be a thing. But I just don't want it if one is not seated and then one or one is down and one isn't. One is seated, one isn't. That's the asymmetry that creates a problem. Certainly, we can all agree in the situation of someone trying to wrestle and then failing to do so because someone else stopped him, you should be you should be threatened by knees. It should force action, it should force scrambles, not so guys put their hands on the mat and then expect the rules to save them. The rules should not save them. Their own defense is its own reward. Your defense should save you, not this shitty ass rule that doesn't do anybody any good at any point. That's what I believe. So Alan comes up with the L. I thought that Movsar looked I thought both guys looked fantastic. You knew that this was going to be a very, very difficult fight. I will tell you that, like, I don't know where he is in the rankings, old Movi. Where are they? Where is he in the rankings? This is before, obviously, this has been updated. Arnold Allen was sitting at four. Movsar sitting at nine. He might jump into the top five. Ilya Teporia is already sitting at five. Who's going to get a title shot? Um, Dude, Movsar might be next. I mean, I guess if Ilya wins... Um, there's going to be a rematch If Volk wins Does he go to 155? I guess we don't know I guess we'll see Max is going to fight Justin Gaethje next So Movsar might have gotten himself A number one contender's fight Out of this We shall see He might have one more In front of him Potentially two I doubt that But at least one more maybe But he's right up there This is going to be A big big win for him And again It's not like Arnold Allen looked bad You have to If you have a rule where good referees have a very difficult time getting it right, your rule doesn't work. The rules that are best are ones that can be easily, enforced, or you know, again, relatively easily enforced, easily understood, everything works seamlessly or pretty close to it. This does nothing but create problems. It doesn't simplify anything, and all the addendum ones, again, hand, fingertips, fucking weight-bearing, two, one, whatever, None of those things make a difference either. All of them are shit rules. None of them None of them make it better. They're all bad. So I think we just need a much more clarifying way to do this, um, and we don't have that. All right, let's take a look at some of your tweets and see what you guys have to say. Jesus, people are bitter at each other. All right. Let's see what we got. What happened to Canada? Canada used to produce some of MMA's top contenders. GSP, Hominic, Luazo, Kang, Kote. Now I'm struggling to think of anyone that is even sniffing a major title other than OAM and he just retired. Flash in the pan? Or part of the cycle? I definitely think part of the cycle. It's still big there. I think the market has been suffering from um, some of the rules that various commissions have used. I don't think the pandemic helped. Um, the retirement of St. Pierre, there was a lot of factors where it kind of dampened the scene, but there still is overall with the amount of teams and the amount of talent and the amount of resources, there's still a lot of fighters coming out of there. Um, and also on the boxing side too, right? We just had, I know he's from native Chechnya, but he's really made Montreal his home for quite some time. Archer or better be of, um, granted, different sport, but the, nevertheless, Canada and Canadian-based athletes being able to do something on a world-class level, there's no good reason why they couldn't. Um, but I also think the other part is too The rest of the world has caught up The rest of the world has caught up big time There's like a lot of other hot spots That have had dramatic growth France I think is poised to have dramatic growth Australia has had dramatic growth it, when, when Canada was hot uh, Under GSP Who did who did Australia have? Elvis Sinisek You know um, Who was the hippo? What was his name? The hippo The MMA fighter What the fuck was his name? The hippo MMA fighter, hold on. he was like, he was, uh, what was his name? Anthony Piroche, Anthony Perroche. you know what I mean? Like, that's who you had. Uh, so, it's part of a cycle, there's no good reason why it couldn't be the other way, but I just feel like the various factors I've forementioned have kind of dampened the enthusiasm. But, yeah, the, the, the expansion of it more globally in the other markets has displaced them to a significant degree. How much better can Drickus get? I think a little bit better, for sure. I don't think he's at his peak. There's a lot of things he can clean up. There's a lot of things he can add. But as you can see, he's a bull. Why did Sean abandon the teep kick? Uh, part of the pressure, I think. I don't think he felt like maybe it was working, or he wanted to just... He he, he preferred the range they were fighting at because he thought he could make better contact that way. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Does Mozar beat Topuria? I don't think so not personally how does middleweight play out now you've got Izzy, Strickland, and DDP at the top yeah, I'm going to say Izzy, DDP and then Strickland, this person says Strickland versus Whitaker Costa, ooh that'd be a ton of fun, that'd be a lot of fun and again, you've kind of got Hamzat out there somewhere playing this whole equation as well how do we feel about Duplicy's stand-up at this point, I can't get over how basic it appears, feels like Izzy should handle him easily, not so easily, dude the takedowns especially too uh, It's mechanically weird It's tactically good enough You know How quick does Dana look To get the belt off of Pennington And how does Valentina do it um, Well she's got business With Grosso first you know But as soon as that's over Because either you're going to be champ champ Or you're going to go for it Or you can just leave and then go 135 why do prelims end up being more exciting than the main cards? Because a couple of them were squash matches. That Jazz Davicius fight was against Cachoeira was a fucking waste of everyone's time. I mean, good for Jazz Davicius. She looked great, right? Amazing. Dude, that fight ended up being the biggest differential in terms of strikes. It was like 323 to like 33 or something. If you're getting your ass kicked two back-to-back 10-8 rounds, I think one of them was 10-7, not only should the fight have been stopped, that fight shouldn't have been made to begin with. Plus, remember, Cachoeira missed weight, so that ended up being a bantamweight fight on top of it. Dude, Cachoeira has caught two of the biggest L's, not in that, not merely in that division's history, but in women's MMA history. Like, an, an astonishing amount, right? Astonishing. Uh, okay. I know everyone is pushing for Izzy DDP, but considering this fight was so close to the split decision, should they look to run this back? No. You could run it back if it felt more controversial. It feels like yeah, either guy could have won. But is there really like a DDP raw ro- or Sean was robbed? I don't think Sean was robbed, right? It just felt like eh. as I mentioned, one guy was just doing a little bit more. Do you think Adam Weight could spark women's MMA in the UFC? That's that's where they're going to scale. They're not going to scale 145 and up 90 times soon. They're going to scale down. You got you've got Japanese talent that can fill those ranks you got American talent that can fill those ranks. And Victor already has a 105 division. You're going to scale that direction. Should there be a rematch? No. Can DDP recover in time for 300? I have no clue. How bad does a focused Izzy piece DDP up? You guys know I'm like pretty high on Izzy. And even I think people are really underestimating what that dude offers. Tough as nails. Uh, dual, dual threat in terms of... Ground and standing, and the mixing of the two. By the way, a consistent ground threat. Well, he so he went into this fight averaging two point seven two takedowns per fifteen minutes. What is Drikas' number now? Let's see. So it was two point seven two heading into the fight, and now his takedowns per fifteen minutes stayed the same two point seven two. Still fucking high. Nearly nearly three per uh, per fifteen minutes. Nearly nearly one around That's a lot, dude. That's a lot to deal with with a guy like that. It's a lot. Um, I I think people are underestimating that a little bit What about thoughts on allowing champions to walk out with their belts Or a celebrity guest similar to boxing I'm okay with it My only request that they don't do Is the one thing I hate in boxing Is they'll have like some rapper come out with them And then they just lip sync Like obviously lip sync Um, It's like the worst shit on earth I hate that So as long as you're not doing that I'm cool Someone says, I had Strickland's winning round one, two, and five. Yeah, I don't agree with that one. Rounds one, three, and five? Maybe. Maybe. Is he versus DDP 300 possible? Yes. <laughs> so is this congrats to DDP for being the first real African champion? Okay, can we can we please stop that? I mean, just focus on the win, please. Uh, do you think Sean will reach his title shot again at any point in his career? Yes, as I indicated. Do you think Arnold Allen won? I don't think he won, but... If I were him, I'd want that fight overturned. Does Ronda Rousey beat both of those girls? Yeah, dude. Not only do I think Shevchenko has a chance to win. If I'm Ronda Rousey, I'm like, do you like your chances? You might. You just might. You know? Will we ever have five judges? No. Strickland landed more and the takedowns were worthless. How does this not go to Strickland? He numerically landed more, that's true. The takedowns are not quite worthless, although in many cases I grant they didn't do a whole lot. Uh, I I still think that the general nature of what he was landing was more impactful. The body kicks, remember Sean only landed punches basically to the head, right? 90% targeting of all strikes. He didn't land any kicks to the head, and I recall, I don't even know if he threw any kicks to the head, so that means those are all punches, and some of those were great. A lot of those didn't mean much at all, um, or you know, barely landed or partially landed. And I think a body kick lands with significant more authority. I count that much more. As an example. Do we think the UFC wanted Sean Strickland out as champ due to his excessive views on strong topics? I mean, who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows? Again, this person says, Sean needs one more offensive weapon. Agreed. There's a little bit of fine-tuning that has to go into it. Doesn't Izzy destroy DDP? He certainly could. I think people assuming that that's what's going to happen are... Izzy has the propensity, like, again, that one's either going to be Izzy by knockout or stoppage or DDP by stoppage. I would be shocked if a fight like that went to the cards. I'll put it to you that way. Much more combustible in that sense. Strickland was robbed. No, definitely was not robbed. Um, why is there not more talk about women's bantamweight being binned? I <laughs> mean, thrown in the trash when it's widely accepted knowledge that if Cejudo beat DJ, men's flyweight was cooked. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know what the fuck that means. It's it's three in the morning. All right. Um. Thank you guys so much for watching. I appreciate it. Reminder, reminder, here's what two things you can do. How about this? Ready? How about this? Huh? How about that? You can subscribe. That's what you can do. You can do that right now. Um, subscribe. Hey, Monday show, big ass Monday show. We're going to get to all of this and then some crazy ass week, crazy ass weekend. We're having another MK show on Monday. Join us, join me and BC for some, uh, for some reverie, huh? Revelry. Join us, join us for fun. Join us for merriment, refreshments and everything else in between. Yeah. So it's uh, I appreciate everyone sticking around and watching till fucking three in the morning, especially for a card that was kind of so-so. But you know I love you just the same. So thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thumbs up. We'll talk to you on Monday, and until then, stay frosty bitches. Mwah. Let's go.